where high fives are missed. That happens. <laughs> um, this is the time in the service where if you're a small child, you can go to that their children's church. And they're off. So I made uh, scripture slides and then saved them, and then they didn't like transfer over. So we're going to go old school today. If you have a Bible, there's some in the pew, or maybe you brought one. We're going to be in Psalm 42 today. Um, Eric said, hey, preach on whatever you want. And I was like, you're going to regret that. So, yeah, Psalm 42. Uh, Those who are listening at home on the live stream, you'll have to also open up your Bibles. There'll be no more slides. So, um, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and open up with a word of prayer, and then we will dive in. Father God, we just, uh, we thank you for this time. We thank you that as a body of believers, we can come together and hear your word. I pray now that uh, the hearts and minds um, and the ears of those in here would be um, opened and attentive to what you have for us, that you just use me as an instrument to uh, proclaim your goodness even when we don't see it. And we just thank you for this time. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Um, When I was... uh, well, let me rephrase that. When my small children were much younger than they are now, I have this memory. We were, um, let's see, I want to say it was our old van before we got the newer one. And the kids had gotten these balloons. And, man, they loved these balloons. Like, I am not even kidding. They loved them. And you know though they were the balloons that have, like, the CO2 or whatever in them because they float. Right. So I don't know how it happened or what happened, but somehow when the van door opened, yes, you guessed it. It's going to get hard. But one of the balloons fell out of the van and it was oblivion. It was gone. Now, (laughs) parents know this well, but kids, when they lose things that are precious to them, are usually very reasonable in understanding, correct? No. Very much the opposite. They are, I mean, my kids lost their stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like, they were panicking and freaking. It was like one of their siblings had just passed away. But it was a balloon, right? It's kind of silly. It's kind of silly that a kid would get so upset over such a small little thing like a balloon, right? But it's harder for us as adults to kind of maybe put ourselves in their shoes, right? Because we all have those moments when we were kids, do we not, right? Um, I mean, I myself, I had a temper as a kid, and so, uh, you know, I got these distinct memories of, you know, not being able to beat Ganondorf in Ocarina of Time and losing my stuff, you know what I'm saying? I got mad. I did eventually beat him, by the way. 
It took me like 100 tries, though. I was, and my mom, you know, she, why did he get so worked up over a video game? It's just a video game, right? And it's easy for us as adults to look down on the kids almost and, and laugh, right? Like, cause in our minds and in our experience, we've lived that, and so to us, it's silly, right? I think sometimes as adults, we need to be reminded of the fact that, like, I can laugh at the fact that my little kids, like, lost it when they lost a balloon. But, like, in that moment, for them, that was, like, an experience of loss. As little as it was, that's, that, that was it for them as little kids because they hadn't experienced much else yet. They're kids. And so for them to lose their stuff, you know... It's understandable. And I think sometimes as, as adults, it's, it's easy for us to forget that. And so we need reminding, right? As we get older, we experience life. And when we experience life, we aren't as affected by losing a balloon, right? I mean, nowadays, you know, uh, I remember when me and Stephanie first got married. And I, you know, uh, man of the house, I got to fix stuff, Right? I had no idea what I was doing. And so, you know, we'd buy like a, a shelf or something, and I'd try and put it together, and I struggled. The directions were in French, at least in my eyes. I could not figure out the dumb shelf to save my life. But now, after years of trail, trial and error and figuring it out, I feel confident enough I could probably put a shelf together pretty easily and quickly. I wouldn't even need to read the directions. I could just look at the parts and be like, hmm, there it is. Boom. Put it together. Right? But that's what experience gives us, right? Experience gives us this, at first it's hard, but then it kind of gets easier because you do it over and over again. Experience and living life kind of teach us, right? They te- it teaches us how to take knowledge, right, which is stuff we acquire, and turn it into wisdom, which is essentially knowledge and action, Right? As we grow up, as we get older, we learn to live. We learn to go through things. We learn to understand things. But we also forget and need reminding, right? Um, we're going to be looking at the Psalm 42 today. And Psalms are poetry. And you know, I love standing up here in rural Montana, and, and, you know, maybe I'm like, what's the word? I don't want to say I'm stereotyping, but I love getting up here and talking about poetry because most men, and you can correct me if I'm wrong afterwards, aren't into that kind of sappy stuff, the poetry. And so I'm sitting in rural Montana preaching on a poem. You're probably getting ready to snooze off, right? Like, that's the temptation, I encourage you not to, because it's actually quite good. And, and, you know, I did some research on, like, what's so powerful about poetry or songs? You know, like the lyrics to a good song. Like, what's so powerful about them? Um, some of the things that poetry or songs help us do is understand the world around us, right? They sympathize with us. You know, I grew up in, like, 
you know, the late 90s, early 2000s. That's kind of where I began my adolescence, and that's when, like, hard rock and emo music started getting big, and I loved it. And you know why? Because they were just brutally honest about how they felt, even if at times it was very overt and callous and brutal. It was honest, and I enjoyed that. I still do. I like music that's just brutally honest about the way things are, right? Which is also why I like the Psalms, because the Psalms do the same thing. I love it because the Bible as a whole never holds back on the fact that humans are messy. Humans hurt and struggle. Another thing that poetry does is it, is it, it helps us to understand things, right? It teaches us. I say it all the time, like, you know, I think it's important, even in worship, the songs that we sing matter, because when we sing, we are learning. When we sing a worship song, we are learning a truth about God, whether it's right or wrong. That's what we're doing. If, uh, you know, sometimes I get worried about my kids, because my kids listen to, like, you know, a lot of this, you know, the famous songs that are going on right now because that's what they like. And you listen to lyrics sometimes and you're like, what is that teaching them? What are they learning about right now? Because a lot of times <laughs> it's not pretty. But poetry, songs, lyrics, they teach us about the world. They provide truth to us. They provoke emotion, which I know, again... Rural Montana, men, you suppress those feelings, you don't feel those, you just pretend like they're not there. But that's what poetry does. It provokes emotions. It helps us feel and deal, and it consoles with us. It helps us understand the world around us. And that's, and that's just poetry in general. Now that we get into the Psalms, God's holy word in Scripture, we see that not only is it poetry that is, in my mind, like the early 2000s emo music that is just brutally honest about the state of things at times. It talks about praise and joy, and sometimes it's playful and funny, and other times it's lamenting. Lamenting is to be sorrowful and be like, why? Why? Why, why is this happening? They're honest about where they're at. They're honest about their feelings. And that's no different than in this psalm, Psalm 42. And as we walk through it this morning, my goal for you guys is that this would be a time where you soberly reflect on what the psalm is saying as I read through it and pull stuff out as we go. So that we can be reminded, right? As adults, we forget. We forget that little kids struggle, right? It's okay, little guy, we're, we're with you, we get it. We forget that this is a new experience for them, not for us, right? And so I think this psalm... I'm hoping will serve for us as a reminder. Psalm 42, verse 1. As a deer pants for flowing streams, 
So pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Now, these first four verses get right into it, right? As a deer pants for water. I mean, how many of you have that on a coffee mug? Anybody? And it's like a cute little deer, and he's by a stream, and he's licking some some water, and it's all pretty and fancy and good. Let's be real. That is not the picture that this psalm is painting at all. Do you want to know what it is? The deer's lost in the woods, and he's thirsty. And you know what? There's no water around. He's desperate. He's not cute and frothy. Frothy. You know what I'm saying. Maybe his mouth is frothing because he's dehydrated. He needs water. But do you get the picture? It's not cute and quaint. It's desperation. The psalmist is going, I need God. I thirst for God, the living God. I need him. I can't go on without him. And the beauty of this poem is it's not just, I literally can't survive without him because he's the creator and sustainer of all things. No, it goes deeper than that because the psalmist isn't just saying that, but he's going, hey, if I'm going to be satisfied, if I'm going to find like purpose and meaning, if I'm going to be complete, if I'm going to be happy, that's the word you want to use. I need God. It's a crazy idea if you think about it. Because a lot of us, and I'll just pick on myself, will say, yeah, I need God. I want God. I want to be satisfied with Him. We don't live like it, right? Because as it turns out, I need money. I need my kids to like, like me. I need enough crops to survive. I need this dumb tractor to work. Whatever it may be. And we forget. And this psalm bears weight on us because it reminds us that at the end of the day, everything that we chase after that isn't God is us being a lost little doe in the woods panting and dehydrated and scared and very thirsty. We're not finding anything. But the psalmist knows. The psalmist goes, hey, the Lord is that stream of water. The Lord is the satisfaction that I need and find. Go to it. Church of God of Big Sandy, Montana, be reminded of that. You need God. Not just in some like, yeah, quaint way where me and him are good, peace. You need him. And if you are without him, you're that lost deer 
desperately panting and thirsty. And again, I love the Psalms because he's honest about it. He's real. It's like, hey, man, I, I need this. He's asking, when, when will he come? My tears have been my food day and night. I'm living off my salty tears. Tears are salty. They don't, they don't hydrate you. They don't take care of you. I'm alone. And there's people mocking me. The world around me is going, yeah, there's no God. Look at this, this, and this. Look at, look at all this suffering. Look at all this stuff. Look at all this science. There's no God. He's not real. You don't need him. You know what you need? You just need to believe in yourself more. Self-help. That's what you need. You don't need God. That's what's going on around us all the day long. And I'm not totally against self-help, by the way. You know, sometimes that's helpful for us to actually, like, self-talk. Funnily enough, the psalm will get to that in a few verses. But it's not going to fulfill us. It's not going to fix us. It's not going to satisfy. Like God will. And he's being taunted. But while he's being taunted, he's also remembering. Things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God. He's remembering times where he went with his people in fellowship and they went into the temple and they worshipped. And he's like, I long for that day. I long for that. I need that because I am so desperate and thirsty. I need God. The way that this is written is kind of telling us where the writer is. It's most likely David, but I do believe this is the first one that isn't attributed to David. But most scholars, I think, if I remember correctly, just say it is David traditionally. So we'll just say it's David for funsies. But his state right now is what? He's nowhere near this procession. He's nowhere near the temple. He is alone and lost and struggling. Verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. There's the self-talk. He's not talking. He's not rebuking anyone. He's not praying there. He's talking to his soul. He's talking to himself. What does this mean for us, church? This means that God has given us this really cool ability to, like, talk to ourselves and remind ourselves of the important things. Kind of like in the moment when a kid loses their balloon and you're like... (laughs) What an idiot. It's just a balloon, you dumb kid. Come on. Oh, wait. You know, when I was a kid. Hmm. See what's happening there? Self-talk. And that's what the psalmist is doing. There's this balance of both being brutally honest about the way he feels. I know feelings scare us, but we can do it. He's honest about his feelings. He's like, hey, life sucks right now. I am not a fan. 
Why are you so downcast, oh, my soul? What's going on? He's talking to himself. He's saying, hey, guy, you need, to, you need to remember these truths. These truths matter. These truths are real. It's reality. I need to be reminded of these truths. Verse 6 says, My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you. From the land of Jordan and of Hermon and from Mount Miser. In this verse now, he moves on. See, he's trying to recall. He's trying to remember. He's trying to self-talk to himself because he is in a place of hurt and brokenness and he's alone and all he has is himself and the Lord. And so he's going, all right, let's remember these things. And all of these locations that he mentions, what he's essentially doing is, is he's going, hey, like, in my mind, I picture like uh, the Bears Paw Mountains, Bear Paws, Bears Paw, however you all pronounce it, the mountains. We, we, we live at the foot of a beautiful mountain, right? And so, for us, we look at that, and we can go, wow, it's gorgeous. Especially, like, when you get that first snowfall, and it's a clear day, and, like, you're driving, you know, maybe down 87 from Great Falls, and you're coming into town, or maybe you're going down that hill on the one road you all live on. I don't remember what it's called. I've lived here my whole life, and I still don't remember roads. Judge me if you must. But you're coming down that hill, and you see the town, and then you see the mountains in the background. Beautiful. Mountains make us feel small. And the God of the universe looks at that mountain and goes, beep. Perspective. See, now the psalmist is reminding himself, hey, God created these beautiful things. He is the creator and sustainer of the world. Look at his creativity and his master art and his work. Look at all this. It's awesome. It's so good. And then verse 7 says, Deep calls to deep. At the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. But again, it comes back to feelings, right? Now he's going to be honest again. God, you are so majestic and big and good and beyond my comprehension. It's like I'm in the middle of the ocean and I'm drowning because I can't handle it. I can't do it. I'm struggling. You're overwhelming, Lord. Again, he's going back and forth because he's struggling. And we all struggle. We all go through seasons where we're doubting and we're wondering and we're hurting. What's going on, Lord? What are you doing? I'm overwhelmed. I know in my head all these things are true, but golly, I'm not experiencing them. Man, God, I can look at the Bear Paw Mountains and be like, you are so good and creative. But I'm drowning. I feel alone. I feel stuck. Where are you? What's going on? Verse 8. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. All that i got to remember, right? Oh, I can be honest. I can be real. 
I'm drowning, I'm struggling. But at the end of the day, even though I'm in this drowning ocean alone and struggling, God is there to throw the lifeboat, to throw the tubey thingy into the water to get us. The Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. God's steadfast love. He reminds himself, I'm drowning, I'm struggling, but your steadfast love is there. You're there, God. You are with me in the night. You are with me. I can pray to you. I can go to you. I can talk to you. I can wrestle with you. That's another thing I love about the Psalms. They're just honest about the fact that they're wrestling. And they question God. What are you doing, man? What's happening? Why? And what is like God come down and smack you upside the head and say, hey, no, don't do that. No. He meets us where we're at, right? Isn't that what Christmas is all about? Emmanuel, God with us. I mean, Jesus came down and literally like went from being majestic creator of all things outside of space and time, outside of our ability to comprehend. And he became a baby. And he had to learn how to use the bathroom. He had to learn how to walk. He had to learn how to... He lived our lives. He experienced life. And he was honest, right? As adults, we need these reminders. I think as adults, we need to remember that God is good and he's always good and he's awesome. I need to remind remind myself of that. I need to self-talk. Why are you cast down on my soul? I need to be reminded of that. But the other thing, and I think this is just as important as the other thing, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to suck. It's okay to hurt. God can handle it. And this might be a diss on the church, but a lot of times we're not that good at handling people who struggle. We say quaint sayings to them. Oh, God is good. You'll be fine. And yeah, that's true. But let them hurt. Hurt with them. That's what we're called to do, and that's what Jesus did. We need to remember. Verse 9. I say to God, my rock, my foundation, my everything, the God that I am desperate for and I'm needing, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries, uh, my adversaries taunt me while they say all the day long, where is your God? You see the desperation? See, for me, I find this refreshing. Because, like, I've been there. And if God's 
inerrant, inerrant meaning without error, word of God can relate to my situation. Isn't that like awesome? If you grow up going to Sunday school and all you learn about are the cool stories in the Bible like David and Goliath and Samson, who's a really horrible example of a Bible hero, just saying, read Judges sometimes, it's not good. But we read these stories and we lose sight of the fact that like, this is an experience that we will all experience. Or maybe you're experiencing it right now. We all say, why have you forgotten me? What are you doing? I haven't felt your presence in a while, Lord. What's going on? Look, I know you're there. I don't feel it. What are you doing? As with a deadly wound in my bones, like how intense is that? Like his struggle is so deeply entwined that it's like within the bones of his body. Like, do you see that? Like, it is at his core. It's what he's struggling with. It's where he's at. And people all around him again are taunting him, right? It's like they taunt us. God can't be real. Or if God is real, I really don't want to worship him because, well, I think I'm better, so... Or, harder still, we give God lip service, we come to church, we do the stuff, but the rest of the week, nah, don't need it. Last verse. <clears throat> why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. All through this psalm, it seems like a back and forth, right? Remember, it's a poem. It's a song. And it's a person, it's a human being who is being real with the state of things. He's being honest with where he's at. And he's going, man, I am, I'm drowning. I'm thirsty. And I'm doubting. And I'm alone. But God, you're still there. And here's the hard part about this psalm. Um, traditionally, people say that they shouldn't have separated Psalm 42 and 43. Because Psalm 43 is kind of like a continuation of Psalm 42. And it's almost like, uh, in my mind, Psalm 42 is almost like, you know, a few years ago, um, Avengers Infinity War came out in theaters. You guys seen that? If you're a Marvel comic book nerd like me. All right. So in this movie, they do something crazy. At the end of Infinity War, spoiler alert, the bad guy wins. And the movie ends. And it's over. And you're left with that tension. The last scene are the heroes of the story weeping over the ashes of their friends that are just gone. Don't exist anymore. And the movie ends. And you're left 
to sit in that tension, I think for a year, jerks, because we didn't know what happened to the heroes or what was going to happen. We don't know. And I feel like that's kind of what Psalm 42 is, because Psalm 42 just kind of ends. There's really no, like, I mean, yeah, he says, why are you downcast on my soul? But there's no, like, he's still hurting. He's still down. He's still broken. He's still struggling. That's it. And I agree with scholars that 43 definitely is a continuation of Psalm 42. But this morning, we're not going to go through that. I think it's most appropriate to end here because some of us are in that place right now. Um, I read a quote from a commentary and said, in a sense, this song testifies to the light, but the psalmist must still wait in the darkness. I think the point that you all should get out of this this morning is that we need to be reminded, right? Just like adults that we are, we forget. Things need to be put in perspective for us. We need to be reminded of the fact that God is good. So if you're in a place today where you're like, you're that lonely doe deer in the middle of the woods all alone and you're just desperate. And you are in that place for sure if you're like, well, I don't need God, but like, you know, it would really help this. Or maybe if I just don't feel anymore, yeah, that'll be good. I don't need to feel. And we choose not to feel in many different ways, right? I mean, you got the obvious ones, drugs, alcohol, pornography, stuff like that. But then you got the not-so-obvious ones that are very prevalent in Big Sandy. Work hard, don't think. Work hard. Don't, don't, don't sit in that feeling for too long. We've got to move on fast. Like That's our culture. You realize in the Jewish culture, they would like weep and mourn for someone's death for like a week. Do we do that here? Nope. Funeral. Move on fast. We need to be reminded that it's okay to hurt. We need to be reminded that, yes, God is working. God is present. God is moving in ways that you can't even begin to understand or fathom or imagine. I've had so many things happen to me in my life where I look, like I look back now and I'm like, God, your hand was in that. Wow. But do you think I saw it at the time? Mm-mm. Not even close. In fact, I was bitter at him. I was mad. How dare you do this to me, Lord? But now I look back, I'm like, thanks. And in these moments of hurt, we need to be reminded. We need to remember. That's, that's essentially what this psalm is about. It's a reminder. It's a reminder that, yes, God is there. And we need to do the work of reminding ourselves of that fact and living out of that. But it's also a reminder of the fact that it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to hurt. It's okay 
to feel and be broken. It's okay to come up to a brother and sister and confess, hey, I'm struggling, and I don't know how I'm going to get through the next couple days. Help me. That's what the church is supposed to do. That's what the church is supposed to be. We're supposed to be a beacon so that people can come in broken and messy and dirty and stinky, coming in and going, I'm hurting, I need God, and we're supposed to present him to them. And then we're supposed to remind ourselves of his goodness when we are the smelly, stinky person. And it kind of puts stuff in perspective too, right? Because now we're all equals. I'm going to close in prayer, but... Pet peeve of mine, as I have... I don't know, I've preached here for a while now and at other places. And I don't know. Let this sit on you. Don't move on quickly. Think about it. If I just need to stand up here for a few minutes and just stare at y'all and be silent, I'm willing to do that. Just so that you, as a body, have an opportunity to just feel. God's not scared of it. And I'm super messed up, so anything you throw my way ain't going to surprise me. Ask my wife sometime. But my peeve has always been like, You know, you hear a sermon, and I'm not saying this is good or bad. I don't really care, but, like, you know, I pray, say amen, and you're all, ah, back to life, and you're gone. The encouragement and the challenge is it's okay to sit and hurt, especially if you're not doing it alone. That's what I want for you guys. I want this church to be that kind of place. So maybe I'll do that. I'm just, I'm just going to stand here for a second. You can't leave yet, sorry. I'm going to close in prayer. If you need to talk to someone, do it. You need to talk to me? I'm here. Talk to Eric. Here. You are not alone. You can struggle. You can suck. It's okay. 
breathe. We all suck together. God can handle it. Man, once you really dig into like the Gospels, for instance, and like look at Jesus' ministry, and then you realize like, oh, if Jesus is God, then like everything Jesus does reflects. And now I'm looking at God and the things that He does. I mean, what does He do? Does He judge and get snooty? No. I mean, yeah, sometimes He gets sassy, but sometimes we need that. God loves us. And the part of being in a relationship with him is us being honest with where we're at. So be willing to do that. And don't do it alone. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for poetry and songs that stir in us truth, even sober truth, sober truth that we need to be reminded of your goodness. We need to talk to ourselves and remind ourselves that you are there and good when we're hurting, but that we also need to remember that's okay to hurt, that's okay to struggle, and that a part of you, Lord, being steadfast in love is you being just obnoxiously patient with us. We thank you for this time. And we ask now that as we go out, Lord, that you would help us to be okay in the tension. Help us to get help where we're needed. And help us to be a light to this town so that broken people feel welcome and loved because we're just as broken as they are. And still you love us. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Have a good week, everyone.